my mind that was done. I'd had enough of the frustration and just the, the fatigue that came with all of all of the snow and cold, and I didn't want to go back out. So this really nice lady drove us into Bend. We got a hotel room. We rested. I was starting to feel better. I ended up eating a pizza that night, so I felt like I was on the mend if I was eating pizza. <laughs> so I was like, pizza's a good sign. <laughs> so, so I ate the pizza. I woke up the next morning, and this is, you know, still we're both on the same page of like, we're, we're done. We're, we're not carrying on at this point. And I remember calling my mom, and my mom cried. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Gilmore, aka Backseat Driver. She's known off trail as Liesl Bailey. She completed the AT, JMT, and Colorado Trail prior to starting the PCT this past year. However, that doesn't mean she was totally prepared for what the trail threw at her. A little luck, creative thinking, and staying present in the moment went a long way toward making it a successful hike. In this episode, we talk about flip-flopping, pastries, poodle dog bush, and how Oregon marked her. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Gilmore. Hey there, maybe I lost you. Sorry about that. I think it was on my side. The Okay, I was like, hopefully it's not me. I think I'm in an okay place. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't you. It was on my side, definitely. Okay. Which good. does not bode well for this whole Skype thing, but <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll play it by ear. Exactly. We'll roll with it. Sounds good. Actually, rolling with it sounds like a great segue to talking about the trail and through hiking, actually. <laughs> It sure does. (laughs) Particularly considering, so I was kind of going through your your Instagram and your posts and stuff like that, and and rolling with it and staying present seemed to be a big theme for you last year. Absolutely. No, I think that was my my main goal before I even started the hike. I spent um, about a year before we set out on the PCT in counseling for anxiety. And um, I had through hiked before. I was through hiked the AT and the Colorado Trail and the JMT, but it felt special. It, it felt different in the fact that I really wanted to embrace the moment on on the Pacific Crest Trail because I didn't want to miss it, and I didn't want my expectations to get in the way of the hike, and I didn't want the fact that it could all crumble in a day to leave me disappointed if it didn't turn out the way I wished it would have which is a very real and possible experience for many people on trails. And for me, it did not turn out the way that I had anticipated it, that it would, but it was still unique in its own. So, I mean, you, you have to roll with the punches. You have to roll with it. And I, it feels like, I mean, particularly on the trail, you have the plans at the beginning of the day and they don't always go according to plan just on a day basis, let alone mm-hmm. a week, a month all, you know, all trail type of thing. Absolutely. Was the anxiety something that you had going into the other through hikes or was that something that 
that is more recent and, and therefore something that you focused on more specifically for the PCT? The anxiety was something that I have struggled with my entire life. And what really brought it to a head was I do better on trails. I am calmer, more at peace. I, I, deal, I deal with my thoughts a lot better on trail. I like the version of me who I am when I am walking. But post-AT, post-Colorado Trail, post-failed PCT hike in 2017, when I would come back to real life, I really struggled to be calm and to be able to just be at peace in my surroundings. And I and I thought with myself, I was like, why can't I go out and spend days on end in the woods with wild animals, with all sorts of elements and things I can't control? But I come back to real life and it and it tears me apart. And so that's when I sought out counseling and my counselor was like, oh, you have anxiety. And I thought, hmm. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot of sense. You're probably right. (laughs) And then she helped me just on a process and a journey of, you know, finding out what triggers my anxiety and what things, what ideas and concepts of the trail, why, I guess, why I did so well on the trail and what were the instances that I felt calm and at peace and okay And how could I then integrate those into my real life? Or I hate the term real life, actually. My regular life. The trail is real life. It is just an alternative life. I know I've had, I've heard certain people describe it as, you know, their real life and, and being, you know, at the job, you know, driving Mm -hmm. around, that kind of stuff is just them waiting to get back to the trail. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think too, with, with hikers, for a long time, like I would tell myself like, oh, we're going to go on this grand adventure and then we're going to come back home and then I'll get started on my real life or then I'll become mm-hmm. this adult. And I had to come to a place now that I'm in my 30s and say, hmm, maybe this is my real life and maybe I am an adult with responsibilities and things that I love doing and hiking can be part of that as my adult real life. And not worry about the fact that people might be like, oh, what a child you are wasting your life hiking these long trails every <laughs> summer. What's wrong with you? When are you going to grow up? <laughs> oh, the judgment. But <laughs> Exactly. And most of it comes from myself. Not many people actually say these things to me. <laughs> right. Or it's it's we're fabricating in our heads what we think that they're thinking when they're probably not exactly. even thinking Absolutely that. Absolutely true. <laughs> I think that's 99% of the time. So how were you with being present on the trail and, and rolling with the, the, the punches, rolling with the Mm. changes that the trail threw at you? No, I think that is, that's a wonderful question. And one I've spent a lot of time contemplating. I think I went through phases on the trail of being present. It was something that I was, it was constantly on my mind. So I was always working towards it. Mm -hmm. And of course, when things like injury or a flip flop come up, I would start to regress, I guess, into, you know, the what ifs and what if this happens and, you know, what if it doesn't go the way I want it to? And what if I'm not good enough to go straight northbound? What does that say about me? Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. But when I would be present, it was usually following one of those moments. It was usually Mm -hmm. the, the springboard to set me back into saying, okay, reel it back in. <laughs> you are fine. This is your hike. <laughs> Come off the ledge and really enjoy the fact that today is the only day you have. And that's true for all of us. Yeah. The day that we are living in right now is the only one we get. And when we are present in it, I really believe 
that's when we enjoy life most. We enjoy the people around us most. We enjoy our, our surroundings. We enjoy the things that we're involved in most when we are fully present in them. Because I find when I'm looking forward to what I hope to be or looking backwards on how I wish I would have done something different, hiking or otherwise, I, I find that that's when I feel regret or anxiety or, you know, or hope for what could be but isn't. But when I'm present, I feel just grateful for the life that I'm getting to live. And I, I know like I've been writing trails, reflecting on my trail journals, I guess, mm-hmm. on Instagram as a way for me to process the hike because it's so hard to be in the middle of all these emotions and walking 20, 25 plus miles every day and try to process everything that's coming at you every single day that's different. And so I've been going through my trail journals so I can relive the experience in a way and also be able to kind of see the the progression of, well, one, hopefully growth, and two, to see the progression of how being present showed up in my hike. And um, I think, like I was just talking about my shin injury in Washington and some of my trail journals, and I found that when I started to feel a little bit better and realized that, like, I'm not well, but I'm well enough to hike, I was able to, I enjoyed some of those days more than many on the trail from there to the end, because I was like, this might be it for me. I don't know. Like, this section might be all I get for the PCT in 2019. So I better darn well enjoy it because I may not <laughs> yeah. get any more. So it puts things into perspective when your time becomes potentially limited. <laughs> right. You start to appreciate the moment or where you are versus getting ahead of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially because you, when you, when you feel great, you're like, oh, I've got, you know, 1500 more miles. It's going to be a grand journey. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I'm hurt. I may have 10 more left. (laughs) I better really enjoy this. (laughs) Well, and you and you, as you kind of allude to, you had some problems that Mm -hmm. go through at you that tend to throw people for a loop, which is the flip flopping and the injury. Um, Yes. And it sounded like, again, and looking through your Instagram, it sounded like you know, there were the moments where, where you had all of those doubts come up, you know, am I a real through hiker? Mm-hmm. Am I strong enough? Am I good enough? Whatever the, the variation on that mm-hmm. is. Right. Versus, and then, and then it evolved to, which I, which I thought was wonderful was, okay, we're going to flip flop. I'm not sure how I feel about this. And then you're in Washington at, in prime summertime yes. and you've seen all of these things <laughs> that you wouldn't have seen if you had been there in September or, or whenever. Yes. I think that was one of the most unexpected gifts of flip-flopping is we were there in July and mm-hmm. it was just gorgeous. I mean, wildflowers were in a full peak bloom and it was colorful and the sun was out almost every day in Washington, which on a normal North on through <laughs> hike, it's not that way, which no. I'm sure, you know, <laughs> so, and so, and we just, it, it was beautiful and wonderful. And we, and we had already hiked the Sierra back in 2012. And so I knew what we were in for. Mm-hmm. I knew that I knew what the trail looked like there. I knew what it was going to be like. I didn't know. I didn't have a, real experience with the snow there, but I knew what the trail was like. So I felt like, you know what, this is our, our experience. I know everyone says hike your own hike, whatever. Um, But this was our hike and 
by gosh, and I had to sit down and think like, what are my goals for the PCT? Is my goal to have a, a pure northbound through hike or is my goal to walk every step of the Pacific Crest Trail? And when it came down to it, my, my goal along with my husband was we just want to walk the whole trail. And one thing we want to make sure we do is see Washington because to us, it was a section of trail we had not done before and was behind the Sierra probably our, our, the next best section in our mind. And the thing that we thought would be the, the highlight of the trail beyond the Sierra. And it was, and we had a wonderful time minus a few days of misery and injury, but I mean, but that's part of it, but it was beautiful. And I, and I don't regret it for a second. I still will see some people's comments online or, you know, hear people talk about like, Oh, we went through the snow in Sierra and I applaud those people and they are amazing, <laughs> but I try not to let it take away from the fact that I did finish the PCT. I try not to let it get under my skin and make me feel like I had a less than hike because I didn't, I had my hike. I completed my goals and I did what I wanted to do. And even if I hadn't completed my hike, it still would have been a grand journey and it still would have been amazing. And I guess I don't want anyone to go into their own through hike and feel like it wasn't valuable and good and worthy because they did not reach their expectations. Because expectations are wonderful to have, but in my experience, your hikes never match <laughs> up with your expectations. <laughs> they, I mean, and usually they far exceed them, which that's the beauty of it. But it's never what you think it's going to be, ever, in my in my experience, anyways. I'm sure some people have had a textbook hike, and it's been great, <laughs> but I have not. <laughs> when do you think that's ever really happened? Probably never. I was just trying to, you know, give a little room for the one percenters. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I I just... <laughs> Cause I, th- cause I think the one common thing that I, that I hear from literally everybody is it never ends up being what you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. And that's honestly the beauty of it. If you let yourself see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think too, um, that reminded me when we've, we did every piece northbound. So we did the desert section northbound up to Walker mm-hmm. Pass. And then we flipped up to Timberline Lodge and hiked north to the border. And then we went back down to Walker Pass. So just about 50 miles south of Kennedy Meadows. And then we hiked the middle big section north back to Timberline Lodge intentionally so we could finish our hike at the buffet at Timberline Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty I know, awesome. really big goals. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, if we're not going to finish at a monument, that buffet seems like a pretty good reward for yeah. completing our through hike. <laughs> so, yeah. And Timberland but, Lodge is um, a nice, like, goal. Yes. Like, it's a, yes, it's a beacon absolutely. And we, we were so self-controlled. We did not even eat the buffet when we flipped up there originally. We wanted to save it for the end. <laughs> and I remember looking at that sign. We touched the sign that we were going to call our end. Mm-hmm. And we touched it and I was like, I really hope we make it back here in 2000 miles because I really want that buffet. <laughs> I was like, if we don't make it back and I pass up the buffet, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> but we made it back. We had the buffet. But um, what your comment made me think of is when we flipped back down to Walker Pass, we hiked north up to Kennedy Meadows and we stopped at the Triple Crown Outfitters, which is run by Yogi and her partner. 
And I remember sitting down with her and her, her, her just talking to us just gave me so much empathy and compassion for myself and my hike. Cause she, she talked to us for a while and she said, you know, she said, I think this year has been so cool. She said, because everyone's getting a different Pacific Crest Trail experience. She said, they are all getting their own unique PCT and that's rare and that's really neat. And I was like, you're right. You are so right. I feel so much better now. <laughs> But I think it's absolutely right. Every oh, So many people got a very unique experience this year because it was a kind of a choose-your-own-adventure free-for-all with how people yeah. flip-flopped all over the place. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there were hikers everywhere the whole season. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's almost like this this past season or 2019 was sort of the the, the PCT saying, Okay, you think you know what you need to learn from this trail, but we're going to throw some things at you and and you're going to learn what you've been avoiding learning or you've been avoiding, period. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, because uh, we ended our hike in Oregon. And we, uh, one of the other reasons we did that was so we could potentially extend our season a little bit more since we mm -hmm. spent the time to flip-flop up to Timberline Lodge and then back down to the Sierra. We, I mean, that took a while. It took several days. I mean, we probably could have done it faster, but we were exhausted, so we didn't. But it was, you know, five to seven days-ish of transition both times. So it was a lot of hiking season. We were eating up in those transitions. And our thought was, Oregon, it's flatter. <laughs> it probably won't snow there as much towards the end of the season. Great place to be if we're going to push a couple of weeks into October. That was could not have been more wrong. <laughs> and in normal seasons, I think it would be most ideal, but they had um, heavy early snow. And yeah. we spent our last 350 miles in fresh, very cold temperatures and fresh snow. And it was, it was a lot. It was, it was a, it was a challenge. I guess the the one upside of that is because you chose your ending to be Timberline Lodge. You know, you get to the end of your trail and you walk 50 feet and you're at the lodge. You um, are exactly right. As opposed to, <laughs> you know, say Manning Park or something like that, where you've got another slog mm -hmm. to get there. Yes. Yes. So that was, that was really nice too. Cause when we went up to the Northern Terminus at the Canadian border, we did not, since we had, we were up there much earlier than we had anticipated, we didn't have our paperwork to walk mm -hmm. into Canada. So we did the 30 mile slog back to, <laughs> to Hearts Pass. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> this is the worst. And an older gentleman we had been hiking back and forth with was just section hiking Washington. And we passed him the day we, we were coming back and he was about to be at the monument. And I was like, yeah, we're walking back. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. That sounds terrible. So I was like, oh, thank you for the encouragement. I really appreciate that. <laughs> like, this is lovely. But I mean, it was beautiful to see it going south. But when you're already hiking, you know, 2,650 mm -hmm. miles, an extra 30 is not really what you want to do. But it is what it is. So we may do. It always amazes me, though, that, you know, even an extra 30 miles, when you start talking, like once people get their legs and, and they're really cranking off the miles, mm -hmm. you know, and and you're saying, oh, okay, I'm going to walk 20, 25, you know, whatever it is, miles today. And that sounds large. That sounds like a lot of miles, <laughs> which it is. It's a marathon. Let's be serious. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but but then you start talking about it even in bigger scopes and you go, yeah, we need we have 150 miles to get to the next 
point, the next mm-hmm. you know, get off trail point or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, that seems like a really long ways. And then you're like, but I'm cranking off 25 miles. So that's really five days, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. You know, type of a thing. And you're like, that's not that long. Mm-hmm. Perspective is everything. Yeah. Definitely. Your, your perspective changes with mileage. And even from our first through hike to this one, you know, we started out doing much lower mileage on the AT mm-hmm. and it, we hit the PCT running. I mean, we, we kind of, we tempered ourselves to less than 20 miles a day at the beginning, just because my husband started with a knee injury and we weren't sure how far we were going to make it. We weren't sure if we were going to make it 300 miles or if we were going to be able to keep going. We were like, let's just test it out and see how it goes. But because of that, we were like, we're not going over 20 for the first several hundred miles until we're sure that your knee is going to be okay. But you definitely have that. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, did you train differently for this one? Because you did sort of hit it running, so to speak? No, not really. I I mean, we we walk a lot in general, just because we we obviously enjoy it. (laughs) But we walk a lot at home. And I try to run occasionally, but I hate it so much. I just hate running more than anything. So I don't (laughs) very often. Unless I'm training for a race, then that's the weird motivation I need to keep doing it. But, you know, we really didn't do anything a whole lot different. But I really think muscle memory makes a big difference. Because whenever we started out on the Colorado Trail in 2017, we hit the ground running then too. I mean, sure, we, we kind of cranked up to higher and higher mileage, but we could start out doing you know, 15 to 20, or kind of hovering around 20 from the get-go, and it felt normal. But I do think a lot of that's just muscle memory. It's like your muscles know what they're used to doing, and they're capable, you know, to to give you that sort of a, I guess, an output from the beginning. I mean, assuming that you're relatively healthy. I mean, I'm not like sitting on the couch, like only eating chips in the off-season. I would like to, but I don't. <laughs> but I mean, just the fact that we were out and walking and being active, I think it helps. But I'm sure we should train more than we do, but we don't, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you guys are getting out and walking, that's more training than some people do during the winter. <laughs> sure, sure, that's fair. Hey, that's I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard people say that they basically are just doing bicep curls because they're just drinking. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> on the scale of I'm that, you guys are pretty active. Mildly. There you go. That's perfect. I felt great. We're actually going camping this weekend for the first time since we finished our hike. So I'm pretty pumped about that. And I was like, man, it's been a long time. I hope I can remember how to do this. How was the getting off trail thing? I mean, did you guys have issues with depression or your body not uh, taking a, taking a moment to reset to more stationary? I, um, this has been the easiest recovery for me mentally and physically. I think one reason is I knew we were coming back here and we were both going back to employers that we really love. So I I kind of, we already had a built in support system. And I think that makes such a big difference when hikers are coming off trail, if they have a routine to get back into immediately or almost immediately versus, you know, coming home, no place to necessarily call your own, no routine. I think that's mm-hmm. really hard. But we, I mean, we have like 13 family members here around us and employers that we that value us and that we love. So that really helps. And I also think our through hike was so hard at the end. The last couple of weeks were mentally and were mentally exhausting. And it was also so cold 
that I was, we were just ready. I was so tired and my body was just like fatigued beyond belief. So I was like, I would love to go home. I want to finish, but I just want to go home. So I was ready for it this time. Before on hikes, I I was not ready to go back to where where I was calling home at the time. And it was really difficult for me to integrate. And I did struggle with post uh, through hike depression. I mean, I think in at, at the end of every hike, I've struggled in different ways. But um, this one has by far been the easiest transition back into a more traditional life. I also think my year-long stint in counseling helped me to prepare for that as well. <laughs> yes, you could, you could talk about it. I'm pro-counseling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I agree yes. with you. Now, you said the last few weeks were, were very challenging. Was that because of the snow and the cold or was there other things going on as well? Let's see. I have to like go back in my mind. Mostly the snow, um, but uh, towards right up, right close to when we got to Ashland, Oregon, so when we first were entering Oregon, we were looking at the forecast, and there was quite a bit of snow predicted, but it was kind of hit or miss, and it, the temperatures were dropping. And so um, we we started out, and we kind of just didn't really know what to expect. And the other thing that was difficult is there was like two people out there. <laughs> two. <laughs> so we saw two other hikers other than ourselves. <laughs> and um and I think like you just lose a lot of confidence when it's a situation that you have not been faced with very often. It's mm-hmm. like I know how to hike through hot. I know how to hike through rain. I know how to hike in cold, but I had I had very limited experience with winter hiking and backpacking. And we were not super well prepared because most of our gear was ultralight and we were carrying minimal layers. So we did have my in-laws shipped us some of our winter gear and we picked up a few extra things in Ashland, knowing that we were going to need them to stay warm. But I'm trying to think our section between Ashland and Crater Lake is where it started to snow. And I mean, everything's harder when it's cold and there's snow on the ground. Oh, hell yeah. And especially when it's actively snowing. I mean, it was harder to set up our tent to find a place. I mean, we're kicking snow to find a place to, to put our tent on. Um, we can't find the trail a lot of the time without gut hooks. Thank the Lord for gut hooks because I probably would be dead. So like a, a thousand times. So I'm really grateful for gut hook. But um, we... It was just like navigating trail that we were unfamiliar with and not having that comfort that comes with seeing other people out on trail with you. Um, we had one other hiker, his trail name's Pep Talk, and he hiked this section to Crater Lake with us. We met him along the trail and hiked with him and following his footsteps was just a huge morale boost and him following ours, just having someone else to know, like, we are not alone. We are okay. <laughs> so, that made a big difference. And then um, the section from Crater Lake to Shelter Cove, we went through. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, yeah, I'm getting this right. I'm trying to remember the, the big points. We hiked through the Thielson Wilderness. And I don't think it got above 25 for a couple of days. And the snow was, you know, over our ankles for a large part of it and really drifty in areas. Thankfully, it's Oregon, so nothing was super steep and I didn't feel like we were in in danger of slipping or falling necessarily. It was just mentally taxing to be going slow through the snow all the time and to just know anytime we needed to do anything like go to the bathroom or set up our tent or pack up for the day. We were risking cold exposure, things getting wet and um, just 
general exhaustion from trying to do simple tasks that were already hard enough, but were easy because they were familiar to us, but with added layers of new, new elements being introduced. So that was, that was tough. And we were always just battling the anxiety of is when is, when is too, uh, I guess like when is the snow level too much? Like when are we putting ourselves in danger of it, there being another snowstorm and we aren't prepared for it. So it was just this weird tightrope or I guess, yeah, tightrope balance of are we making the best decision versus we really want to finish this hike and like constantly having that teeter tottering battle in your mind is just mentally exhausting every day. Yeah, and then we got to Big Lake Youth Camp, and there was another storm coming in, and we had 100 miles left at that point. <laughs> and we set out, and 15 miles in, we camped, and snow came that night, and it snowed on us all night long, and I ended up getting really sick in the night. I had a couple of bouts of diarrhea, and I was didn't sleep really all night, and I couldn't eat. I just, nothing, nothing sounded good. I didn't want to put anything in my system for fear it wouldn't stay. And um, we woke up the next morning and tried to get started out and I could take like three steps and I was, I I would have to stop and take a break. And my kind husband looked at me and he was like, we're turning around. And I was like, no, we can't turn around. We have to keep going. (laughs) And uh, he said, no, we're turning around. He's like, he goes, this is dangerous. He goes, if we keep going, we're going to put ourselves in a situation that I don't want to be in. And um, I told him then, I said, well, if we're turning around, I'm done. I don't want to finish. I don't want to finish this trail. I don't want to finish this hike. And he said, okay, which is really surprising <laughs> to me. <laughs> so we turned around and went back to the highway that takes you into Bend. And that 15 miles was probably the most defeating 15 miles I've ever hiked in my life. Because I was, I had just, in my mind, I was done. I'd had enough of the frustration and just the, the fatigue that came with all of all of the snow and cold, and I didn't want to go back out. So this really nice lady drove us into Bend. We got a hotel room. We rested. I was starting to feel better. I ended up eating a pizza that night, so I felt like I was on the mend if I was eating pizza. <laughs> so I was True. like, pizza's a good sign. <laughs> so, so I ate the pizza. I woke up the next morning and this is, you know, still we're both on the same page of like, we're, we're done. We're, we're not carrying on at this point. And I remember calling my mom and my mom cried. She was like, no, you have to finish. And I was like, you're not supposed to cry. You're supposed to tell me to quit. (laughs) Don't tell me that. But I remember she was crying and I was crying and I was like, but I'm exhausted but we woke up that next morning and we were just laying in bed. And I remember like in my mind, I just grabbed my phone and looked at the weather. And I saw that we had about four days of a pretty decent weather window and there wasn't supposed to be any new snow. And I didn't tell my husband that I was looking at the weather and he had apparently looked at it too. And he didn't tell me he was looking at the weather. And, uh, we, and I looked at him and I was like, well, what do you want to do? And we kind of, went through a couple of situations and scenarios. And I said, I think I want to go back. I said, I think I have to finish. (laughs) I was like, we're way too close. And so, and he was like, are you sure? You know, we don't, we don't have to do this. If you feel okay, you know, I'd be willing to give it a shot. And I told him, I I said, yes, we have to finish. Like we have committed so much to this and we've gone through 
you know, injury and difficulty, the flip flop, the snow. And I was like, we have a hundred miles. I will crawl there if I have to at this point. So we set back out and we made it in three and a half days. (laughs) So that was, I'm very, we talk about it all the time. I always say like, I'm so glad we finished. I'm so (laughs) glad we went back out and finished because I think like leaving that a hundred miles on the table would have been really hard to mentally take if we were back home and we still had a hundred miles left. Speaking of post-trail depression, that, that I'm sure would have been a huge factor in my post-hike mental health because I don't think I would have done well with leaving that a hundred miles lingering. But going back and finishing it was well worth it, but it was difficult. <laughs> Do you think, I mean, obviously the weather was kind to you in so much as that there was a window for you guys to do that. I I would imagine that, you know, if the weather window had not been so favorable, it would have made the decision not to finish that hundred miles a little easier. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I think if the weather would not have been favorable, if there would have been more snow in the forecast, I think we would have called it. It's like, it breaks my heart to say that. But I think we would have called it just because we were we were so worn out and so beat down. And and I I guess, too, like I I just think like I would never fault anyone in that same situation if they would have done what I would have considered. If they would have said, no, mm -mm, 100 miles, it's not worth it. Like, I'll come back next year. It's fine. I would never fault anyone for doing that because it was so hard. (laughs) But I absolutely think had the weather looked any different, we would have said let's just go home. And it would have been devastating. But, and I think like, you just have to know your limits. You have to know what you're okay with, what you feel safe doing and, and, you know, like where you're willing to push it. And I think too, like when you're able to embrace your limits, you can have a lot more grace for yourself and for where you are, but that doesn't mean you you don't ever push those limits later. It's like, I feel like we pushed a lot of limits this year that I don't think I would have been comfortable with a couple of years ago. On our 2017 failed PCT southbound attempt, we hiked 40 miles through Washington in just terrible, I mean, it was like crazy snow and like lots of um, really, you know, like icy ridges and we just didn't have the right gear. We didn't have what we should have had. And it was, it was terrible and dangerous. And I cried every night. It was, it was bad, but we made the decision to call that. And I've never regretted that once. I mean, I was super sad to to call it. I was super sad that we decided to give up this dream, that dream so quickly, but I don't, I don't regret that at all. Like, I think like having a failed through hike gives me a lot of perspective for other people's hikes that didn't go as planned. And it gave me a lot of perspective too for making non-traditional hiking choices even this year and on the BCT. I was like, hey, you know what? It happens. It's part of your journey. And I think that being able to even just be able to connect with other hikers because of your hard experiences is where a lot of your where a lot of really deep relationships are formed because those moments are hard and painful and we can connect with each other over things that are difficult for us. And so I don't, I mean, I don't look at, look at my failures and think, Oh, like I should have been better or like we, we could should have done this differently. It's like, I think they're just part of the journey and they make our experiences on trail so much richer. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think all the best stories come from. <laughs> <laughs> 
But it is so interesting how, what is it you have to be, uh, be as kind to yourself as you would be to others, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's the difficulty. Yes. No. And I think, I think that, and I am the world's worst at being hard on myself. And I have found that when I'm hard on myself, I'm hypercritical of other people. But when I give myself, you know, I give myself a pass, I give myself grace. I'm so much more gracious to people around me. I'm like, oh, it's fine. You know, you're you're doing great. You're doing a great job. You know, this is a wonderful experience, no matter how it turns out. And when I can give like extend that kindness, I feel like I'm so much kinder towards myself. And it makes such a big difference in my overall mood and the way I interact with people around me, hiking yeah. and otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that and that is the challenge every day. Did you guys hike basically together or did you actually, were you hiking with other people in some sort of tramley type of situation? We mostly just hiked to the two of us. We did, we went through stints here and there where we would hike with um, a person or two for a while. We're both quite introverted and like to camp usually like, I mean, my husband always says like, we fill our social needs with each other. So we, we don't really feel like being around a ton of people in the evening is where we want to gain our energy. <laughs> it's like yeah. By the time we get to the end of the day, we're pretty introverted and we're like, let's, let's be alone and not speak and, you know, go to sleep. But I mean, we did go through periods in the desert where we would, you know, hike or leapfrog with one or two hikers that we got pretty close with. And we spent the majority of the Sierra hiking with two other girls that had also flip-flopped and happened to be right on our schedule. So, I mean, not every day, but we spent the majority of the Sierra frog, um, leapfrogging with, with them. But then once we were in Washington, Oregon, and even Northern California, because our flip-flop was pretty non-traditional, there weren't a lot of people going our direction around us at all, um, which I mean, worked out fine for us because we had each other and we we didn't, like my husband says, he gets his social needs fulfilled, fulfilled with one person. <laughs> but I'm like, whatever. So, but um, because of that, like in, in Washington, there were a ton of Sobo hikers. I mean, tons. Mm -hmm. We hit like big bubbles towards the middle of Washington, but we were just passing those people. We weren't we weren't seeing them for more than either one night camping or just, you know, in passing as they went south and we went north. And in Oregon, we, we hiked with the one guy for a section or two. And then we hiked with another hiker named Hulk for the last little bit. Um, but it was just the, those two individuals for the majority of Oregon. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we have, we didn't really have like a really tight knit tramily. And sometimes I feel bad about that. I'm like, maybe we should have had more, more social, friends on the hike <laughs> but we didn't so that's just the the truth of it i guess that was that was just this year's hike who knows mm -hmm. who knows about next year's hike that's right and we hiked the at with a buddy of ours there were three of us all the time so i felt like we had a uh, lots of social interaction on that hike <laughs> what is your trail name gilmore like the show gilmore girls <laughs> i also saw you referring to is it Correct backseat driver. That yes, that was my my trail name for the majority of the AT. Okay. And on the last day before we summited Katahdin, I had a long conversation with the through hiker named Tenacious about the show Gilmore Girls. We were sitting under like the the 
I guess it's a little store right in the in Baxter State Park and it was raining. We were sitting under an awning and she goes, have you ever heard of the show Gilmore Girls? And I was like, yeah, it's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about it for a long time and later on in the campground that night, she walked by and she was like, hey, I can't remember your your trail name. So I've just been calling you Gilmore. And I was like, I've changed it. It's official. You just gave me a new one. (laughs) That's what it should have been forever. So that's how I became Gilmore. Got it. Now, how did you become backseat driver? Well, <laughs> people people always hear backseat driver and they're like, that's not very nice. And I'm like, well, it's endearing and it's true. So we'll go with it. But we were at the Davenport Gap shelter on the AT, the last shelter that's um, on the north end of the Smoky Mountain National Park. And uh, we were there with a ton of people, a few hike- hikers that we had been hiking with for a while. And one of them was an older gentleman named Beef Jerky. And he was watching myself and our friend Josh throw the line to hang our bear bag. And I was kindly helping our friend Josh <laughs> tell him how to hang the bear line. <laughs> and Beef Jerky said, looks like we've got a backseat driver on our hands. And my husband looks over and he said, that should be your trail name. <laughs> and so it stuck for, for most of the AT. But um, no, I, I I am a managerial type person. That's the type of work I'm in. And I thrive in helping other people <laughs> in how they're doing things. <laughs> it's the nice way to say it. <laughs> I try to be real conscious of it because not everyone wants to be told what to do. <laughs> yes. I, I love your creative license. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. But Gilmore it is. From, from Gilmore now on is, forward. Yes, we've moved on. From from here until someone gives me a better one, Gilmore it is. I don't know if it's going to get much better than Gilmore, considering how much you love Gilmore Girls. Exactly. Thank you. I agree. And I love telling the story. It's such a good story. Now, I kept seeing your mentioning Poodle Dog Bush. Mm-hmm. Or Bushes, I should say. You're the first person who's mentioned this. So what is this and and why did it keep cropping up in your in your Instagram feed. Really? I'm the first one. Yeah. I feel like the poodle dog bush is like the boogeyman of gut hook. It's crazy. And it's I mean it's a plant in the desert that grows in burn areas. And apparently if you touch it and the oils get on you similar to like poison oak, it causes like a crazy bad reaction or rash and can sometimes potentially put you in the hospital. Now, I think probably a lot of this is hype and I may get backlash for saying that because I'm sure some people have had some terrible poodle dog bush experiences. (laughs) But if you read the comments on gut hook and poodle dog bush areas, you would think it's going to like jump out and get you. So it's, it's just, I think like from all of the hype, anytime we would see it, I was just like super conscious to not be anywhere near it. I was like, don't touch it. Don't even look at it. If you look at it, it'll get you. (laughs) (laughs) So my husband and I, we would just shout out Poodle Dog anytime we would see it. Be like, Poodle Dog on the left, Poodle Dog on the right, mostly as a joke because it was obnoxious. But I mean, it's, it's in the Southern California desert area 
it, typically in burn areas. Thankfully, most of the trail itself, the trail corridor, had been pretty well cleared to where there wasn't overhanging poodle dog in the trail. So it was, I mean, some of it was you kind of had to, you know, move a little to the right to avoid it. But I've seen hikers videos from a couple years past where it's just like the whole trail looks like it's been overtaken by poodle dog. And I don't, I don't know. I guess you go really out wide like you do with a rattlesnake or something like that. But that is interesting to me that you haven't seen poodle dog references. No, people. <laughs> I, people you're are... welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the warning. You have now warned everyone. I know. Everyone out there knows. Don't touch the plants. And they smell like, it smells like marijuana. And so every time you smell it, you'd be like, is that marijuana or poodle dog? I'm not sure. I'm not really sure which it is. <laughs> so then you'd be like, oh, there's poodle dog bush. Okay. It's poodle dog bush. So poodle so dog gives bush. you some good warning. Yeah, exactly. You can smell it coming. Mm-hmm. Is there, is the, do the flowers have a certain color? They're purple. Purple? Okay. Um, they're purple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're these like kind of crazy, almost like Dr. Seuss-ish, that's a hard word to say, looking plants. They kind of have these little pokey green um, leaves on them and they grow up in like a long stalk. And then when they start to die, the dying leaves kind of spindle down and look brownish. So they kind of, they have that Dr. Seuss vibe. I think that he must have taken a lot of like desert plants as his inspiration for his plants and like the Lorax and things like that. Yeah, I, I would agree. And because a lot of his, his plants or his, yeah, his plants basically are these solitary plants, which seems very desert-like. Yes, totally. So... <laughs> I saw some, well, a note about a mountain lion, then you had a picture with the moose, uh, you had some bears. Mm-hmm. How were, how were those, uh, experiences? Yeah. Let's see here. <laughs> Pick one. Um, bear, I mean, I'm like, which one? The bears don't bother me really at all because I've seen several. Um, and I've never had an experience where a bear has even bluff charged me. It's always just been exciting. So I'm like, oh, bear, that's really cool. You know, we watch it or it runs away or what, whatever. And so that's always fun. But we did have, we had three different mountain lion encounters on the PCT this year. And I've never had a mountain, mountain lion encounter before. So that was unnerving, but they were all fine. (laughs) But one, um, the first one, we were in our tent in the desert, um, just south of Agua Dulce in Hiker Heaven, I guess. Uh, rest in peace, Hiker Heaven. But um, yeah, exactly. we were just south. I know, I'm so sad. But just south of Hiker Heaven, and we were in our tents, and we, I got out like at 9.30 to like, go to the bathroom one more time. And I, and I heard this rock fall down the side of, it was like an old forest service road. It was right below where we were camping. And I heard a rock fall down there, and I looked up, and I locked eyes with, you know, close set green eyes. And I was like, I just said, Dave, that's my husband's name. I said, there's something big out here. (laughs) And he was like, okay. I was like, I think it's a mountain lion. And so he came out and he was really excited about it. And I was mostly terrified. So we watched them, the lion for a while until it like, until it walked off like they do. And then we went to sleep. Thankfully, we were really close to LA. So I had LTE and I watched some YouTube videos to help me calm down. So I survived. And then the second one was similar to we were in our tent and it, it walked behind our tent. We, you know, I stuck my head out when I heard something, looked at it, watched. And they're so interesting. All three encounters, so different than bears. 
they just stare at you. And it's so intimidating because you're like, what are you thinking? What's going on in your mountain lion mind? Are you thinking like, what should I do? I'm just curious. Are you coming after me? I don't know. But I mean, every time, I mean, it was just like a extended period of, um, I guess, just locking eyes and having a staring contest, for lack of a better term. And then they would quietly walk away. But the last time we were in Oregon, in the snow, in our last couple hundred miles, we were in the Sisters Wilderness. And we were just trying to make miles. The sun was going down earlier, so we were night hiking. And I don't love night hiking. Lots of people do. I don't for that reason. I just feel like there's a higher probability of me having a mountain lion encounter. And I just don't love it. I don't love having those encounters. Well, it and so sounds I'm like <laughs> night hiking in the snow when it's cold doesn't sound appealing either. No, it's really not. You're right. Good, good call. So we were just trying to make miles. So we're like, the, you know, get as far as we can because it's getting dark at like six o'clock at that point right. in October. So we just, it was kind of a, we just have to night hike in that situation. But I look to my right and I see the mountain lion. We lock eyes, green eyes, and you could see it silhouette that time. And uh, we, yeah, we stopped. <laughs> and uh, this one wasn't moving. It was pretty, it was stationary and didn't seem to be super concerned with moving on. So we did, my husband was like throwing rocks in his direction and we were yelling just to be big. And I look up and see it cross the trail in front of us. I mean, not super close, but, you know, 20, 30 yards in front of us. And so I was like, okay, I know it's to our left now because those dudes are quiet. You don't hear them. And so we're kind of carefully moving, looking to our left, just trying to keep our eyes out for it. And we turn the corner towards the left and it's on our left again. And I, and I see it and watch it and we watch it cross the trail in front of us. And we're just trying to make noise and be big. <laughs> and then <laughs> I growled at it super loud, like really guttural, loud growl thinking I'm going to be really intimidating. And Dave said, he was like, don't growl at it. It might recognize that noise. And I was like, I'm sure it's fine. So, so post growl, it went up off like to the right of the trail and went up into the hills and it was gone. But it was like, we were just, it just happened to be trying to get away from us in the same direction the trail was moving. So we spent a good mile trying yeah. to get away from the lion. And, you know, my, my adrenaline is pumping. I'm like, okay, sure. settle down. I got to go to bed now. But, I mean, it, as usual, mountain lion or any other animal encounters end up being more exciting than scary. You're like, that was awesome. I can't believe that just happened. But it was really neat. It's a great story to tell. I still don't know that I want to spend my night hiking evenings hanging out with mountain lions. That's just not my thing. Yeah, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> But how did you guys get to sleep? That I mean, I would assume that the adrenaline, the endorphins, the whatever are flowing at that point. How did I you was even get to so sleep? tired. <laughs> by the time, I mean, we were only going about another half mile or so. And by the time we got there, I didn't even care. I was like, if you want to hang around and walk around my tent, go right ahead. I'm too tired to care. And I, I just went right to sleep. That was probably the quickest I have ever gone to sleep after an animal <laughs> encounter. The other two lions when we were already in our tent, those took me a while to like come off the adrenaline and go to sleep. But that night in Oregon, no problem. Right to sleep. Exhaustion's wonderful. Exactly. What did you change or add to your gear when you went into Oregon um, and into the, the snow and that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, no, totally. We started, I guess I'll tell you our starting point and then what we changed. Okay, perfect. We were carrying just the uh, closed cell, like eighth of an inch closed cell foam pads that Gossamer Gear carries as our sleeping pad, which is just like a, a glorified um, rug or, you know, essentially just keeps you off the ground. It's yeah. not all that cushy. Um, and it's certainly not warm when it's cold outside. Um, so we... We still carried that, but we also picked up some Thermarest Z lights, which is what I have used for my sleeping pad before the PCT, um, always. So we picked up a Z light to go with the closed cell foam pad, and which one? It was like super comfy then. I was like, this is great. <laughs> so we upped our comfort game and also gained some warmth. So that was our probably the biggest thing to keep us warm. We also put liners in with our sleeping quilts because I was carrying a 30 degree sleeping quilt. I sleep pretty hot normally. And my husband has a 15 degree quilt and he sleeps a little colder. So we both picked up liners to put in our quilts and we had my in-laws send us, let's see, we picked up another pair of Capilene, like Patagonia Capilene bottoms and another top. And we, (laughs) the best part is we went to Dollar Tree and we got dishwashing gloves so that way we could take our tent down and put it up at night. Whenever like the, the pieces of the poles were frozen together, we could get those apart without freezing our fingers off and keep our hands dry. That's pretty great. Great hiker hack. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They were bright pink. They were very stylish. Oh, and we picked up ponchos that's the other thing Mm -hmm. which changed my whole life we got blue ponchos for like five bucks at rei and um i wore that like almost religiously anytime it was snowing because it kept all my stuff dried or i didn't have to worry if everything was getting wet inside of my my compactor bag and my backpack and it, it helped like it helped us stay warm too so a couple of questions off of that well one is what what kind of quilts did you have um, we have catabatic quilts. Okay. So his is the 15 degree and mine's the 30 degree. I can't remember the names of them, but they're catabatic quilts. And this is our first hike using quilts. So would you recommend quilts for you? Did they work for you guys? Yeah, no, I love it. Um, okay. Mainly just because they're so much lighter. There definitely is a learning curve to the quilt, though, because there is no, um, I guess, there's not a solid back. So you kind of have to get good at adjusting yourself and being able to, like, hold the the quilt together to where you feel like it keeps your back warm or there's also straps that you can attach it to your sleeping pad. But since we were using the closed cell foam pad, it, that doesn't really work because it's not a sturdy enough pad to hold it down, right. but I love it. And it doesn't have a, I guess the, the hood on it, but I would just wear like a, a buff or a jacket if I was cold and I was fine. Now you also just mentioned that, uh, you were you had the poncho, which was to help protect, obviously to keep you drier, but also to mm-hmm. to keep your your pack drier. Were you having issues, even though I I think you were lining things with the compact bag? Were you still having mm-hmm. issues with things getting wet in the pack? Not normally. We just had one really really wet day in Washington that I just wrote about on Instagram a couple of days ago, where. It rained all day, and somehow inside of my compactor bag, my sleeping bag was wet. And, I mean, there was no holes. I, like, dug through that thing with a fine-tooth comb. So unless it was just a day that was super, super saturated, I didn't have any issues. And I was also, after that experience, I was wrapping anything like my sleeping bag or my sleeping clothes in an extra layer 
of of some sort of like waterproofing bag make sure that those essential items stayed dry especially when mm-hmm. it got really cold but just just in case the poncho made me feel even better <laughs> belt and suspenders now you also had rain gear with you correct mm-hmm. yes um which at, at just again going through instagram you had a, a picture at, at some point they failed on you but yeah yeah <laughs> But so, you, but you still had that stuff with you, and then the poncho was sort of that extra layer of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we had a couple of base layers underneath the, the, the well, I guess waterproof layer that would keep us warm. And really, during the day hiking, I didn't struggle to stay warm. Um, the main concern was our feet because we were walking in the snow and we wear ultra lone peaks, and which I love, but that thin of a shoe is is not waterproof for one. And we were just, we were caked in snow all day. So we had like numb toes for a couple of weeks once we were done. <laughs> so we never had any like blistering or black toes, but we had numb toes for a couple of weeks. So and I think that was bite. just from, yeah, <laughs> so, that was mildly concerning, but I can feel all of my toes now. We have fully this recovered. Everything's cool. Yeah. Now, did you try to do anything with bags or anything like that to keep your feet dry or it just became pointless? My husband experimented a little bit more than me. He tried putting like gallon size Ziploc bags in his shoes and I did one day, but uh, it just, it didn't seem to help. I mean, it may have been another layer of insulation. He might differ. He might say that it was great. I don't know, (laughs) but I still, I don't know, but I still felt like my feet were wet. And, um, if they weren't wet from snow coming, snow and moisture being in my shoes, they were wet from my feet being sweaty and not being able to breathe through the plastic layers. They were, they were wet either way and they were cold because I was essentially like walking in ice. So, I mean, it's kind of a loose, loose situation. (laughs) I mean, unless, I mean, the one thing I considered is like if I had like neoprene socks in a similar situation, Mm -hmm. but that just wasn't an option at the time. So you kind of were stuck in that respect. You were kind of stuck with what you had. Yeah. And it, and it didn't seem to be detrimental in a long-term <laughs> situation. Like, how do I fix you know, the right word? <laughs> you've got your feeling back at all your toes now. So, it, like... Exactly. It wasn't long. There were no long-term effects. And I didn't feel like we were in danger of having long-term effects. So there wasn't a, any point where I was like, oh, we really should probably change this. We did pick up in Bend before we hiked that last hundred miles. We picked up some of those hot hands, um, mm-hmm. like the little hand warmers, and we put them in our socks at night. And that was a game changer. That kept my toes so much warmer and it helped me sleep at night the last few nights. So that that I recommend if anyone's looking for, you know, just for a few days, something to keep your toes warm. Now, did you like obviously your feet would get cold during the day or, you know, what have you, or get wet and then cold, so to speak, but you weren't having problems at night then warming back up again. No, no. I felt like at night we were, I was relatively warm. There was one night before it got, before it got cold consistently. And before we got our extra winter gear, that was um, a very cold and wet night. And that was the one night and following morning that I was nervous about how cold I was because we were hiking into Etna um, in Northern California and it was raining and sleeting and like, you know, kind of wintry mixing. 
And I was worried I was too cold. The whole night I was cold and we had to wake up and put on cold, cold, wet clothes. And we like ran 25 miles into town. I felt like we like never stopped. And the whole time I was shivering and I was like, this is probably not good. <laughs> but that was the only day that I felt like I was cold and I had a hard time warming up. Most nights, though, I felt like even during the day, I felt warm and getting into bed, I warmed up easily and fell asleep pretty quickly. Nice. nice. Lucky. Yes. But yeah, no, I didn't want to repeat the uh, the night before Aetna slash hiking into Aetna day. So I was really, uh, really happy about all of our winter gear choices. They made a huge difference. However, our bags were heavier and mm-hmm. our backpacks don't have hip belts. So that was a challenge, um, but it was worth it for the little bit of time that we spent with the extra gear. What were your backpacks? Um, we both carry the Gossamer Gear Kumo, which I, I love so much. I bought a new one for this coming hiking season. Um, and it does have a removable hip belt. I just did not use it for the PCT, and I've, I felt fine with it the whole time um, without the hip belt. There were days, you know, in Southern California when we were hauling a lot of water or a couple of bigger carries in the Sierra where it was a little bit more uncomfortable or I was probably pushing its weight limit. But overall, on you know, 90, 95% of the hike. It was wonderful. It was a great choice. How much weight do you think you were carrying? Or I guess what was your, um, what was your base weight? Do you know? I I kind of know. <laughs> like, I'm not one to, to nickel and dime my weight, so I can't tell you exactly, but it was somewhere but like right around 10 pounds was my base weight. Okay. So then the rest would vary depending on whatever you else. Yes. And else so we need. don't, we don't carry a stove when we sit or hike. So um, we just, it was really just food and water on top of our base weight. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess that all that other stuff is part of your base weight, but we weren't carrying fuel or, you know, mm-hmm. pots and pans, stuff like that. So that, that begs some questions, which I will get to in just a second, but, yeah. um, to, to circle back to kind of what we were talking about before, like the things that you switched out or the things that you added when you went into the, the winter weather stuff, mm-hmm. um, was there anything else that, that got added or changed out? Um, hmm, I think. I don't think so. We just added a, a base layer, added another layer um, of thermal bottoms. That way we had one to hike in and one to sleep in. The sleeping pad and gloves. And I, oh, and I picked up an extra buff. So so I'd have some extra neck, neck worms. But that was really it. It was just really an one extra layer everywhere is kind of what it felt like. Nice. Okay. Uh, well, I then again, circling, or actually one last thing, and then we'll circle into food, mm-hmm. which is yeah. what was your tent? We had the um, Big Agnes Fly Creek two-person tent, which most people say is a one-and-a-half-person tent, and that's probably accurate. <laughs> a lot of togetherness. <laughs> Yeah. So you have to be really comfortable with the person you're camping with. <laughs> but um we've we had used that tent for oh gosh, several years. We actually we just purchased a new tent, but that's it's it's been very good to us and I would have nothing but good things to say about Big Agnes in general. They've been fantastic as far as customer service and our tent. We've just decided to move on to something that's um non freestanding instead of semi freestanding. So more like a, almost like a Z-Pack or something like that. Yeah, we, like. we just got the Gossamer Gear 2. So okay. we're testing it out this weekend, but I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. So food. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're, you're cold soaking or some variation thereof. Yes, we are. 
So were you doing the true like cold soaking or were you doing like a tortilla cheese, whatever version? Um, both. Um, we would cold soak our dinner. So we would generally have ramen or couscous or something, mostly ramen, just because we never got tired of it. I know that sounds probably disgusting, but we never tired of <laughs> yeah. it. So it worked. So <laughs> we would usually eat ramen for dinner, um, along with usually an extra candy bar or whatever snack sounded good chips. We always had probably two bags of chips for every resupply. Um, and then, but for lunchtime, we would have tortilla, a tortilla with something, whether it was peanut butter or tuna or chicken or, you know, whatever. Um, tortillas were our go-to for lunchtime and then with a variation of snacks. Did any of that change when you hit the winter, like, like the cold? I, I'm assuming you didn't pick up a stove at that point, so. No, we didn't just because we had minimal time left. Um, we were, I, I honestly think we were just probably weren't eating enough at that point because I was mm. just exhausted. And a lot of it was when it, when it's actively precipitating, whether snow or rain, I have trouble motivating myself to eat as much as I need to because I don't want to stop and pull anything else out. I mean, I usually keep all of my snacks for the day on the outside of my pack in a Ziploc bag and then some of them accessible in the front of my pack in pockets or a fanny pack. But um, I just have a hard time, like, especially if I'm cold, getting my hands out of gloves or out of my pockets to to use them to eat. So I probably was not eating enough in those last couple of weeks. But I, I'm sure that my body was needing more calories than it had in previous weeks on the hike. Did you have much issues with hiker hunger or you just were feeling more exhausted type of thing? Um, I mean, definitely feeling more exhausted, but I mean, I was always hungry and I feel like I am just in general <laughs> hiker hunger the majority of the hike. But I, I like to go into town and gorge myself as much as possible and then go back out and do my best. I mean, I would just eat as much as I could all the time. But at some point, I feel like when you're hiking, it just and I, which I hate because when I'm not hiking, I'm, I love food and I love to eat all the time. But when I'm hiking, I struggle to keep an appetite and to eat enough food all day long just because it's not appealing to me anymore. And it might just be the lack of variety potentially. But I also, I've heard people say as well, like there's just a, at a point where you just can't eat anything more. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, no, there's, I think there's only so much stuff you can stuff into your mouth every hour on the hour type of thing. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's true too. It's like, it's just, it's, it's no fun anymore. If that makes sense just <laughs> over it. <laughs> yeah. I eat a lot of candy bars when I'm hiking. That's, that's my go-to for like a, a bar. I'm like, mm, candy bar probably has as many calories and probably as much sugar as a cliff bar. I don't know that for a fact, but I tell myself that. And if I don't know any different, I feel fine about it. That's right. What kind of, <laughs> what kind of candy bars your go-to? I love Snickers. Um, <laughs> Always. Um, Milky Way is really good. It's a good second choice. And then I experimented with the Butterfinger peanut butter cups. Delicious. Mm. If you ever get, get your hands on one of those, go ahead and try it because it's delicious. Copy that. Well, talking about delicious, yeah. you also seem to have a, a thing about donuts. Oh, I love donuts. <laughs> that is true. I love donuts all the time in any form. Um, my gators are actually donuts too so i can look at them while i hike just reminds you of where your next donut is coming from that's right absolutely so where are the best donuts on the trails that you've done or which has the best donuts oh gosh oh 
I'm going to, I'm going to veer and take, I'm going to give myself a little liberty here okay. <laughs> and go with best pastry on trail. Because <laughs> so, oh, okay. I can't think of a great donut. I know great donut places that I love, but not on trail, but the best pastry is Etna, California. There's this little French bakery, and I wish I could remember the name, but I can't. But if you looked in Gut Hook, you could find it. <laughs> and um, they have the most unbelievable pastries. I think we ate like six between the two of us. But everything was just delightful. And they had a croissant with chocolate, like one of those chocolate-filled croissants. And everything was warm and fresh. We had a sticky bun. What else did we have? I don't, everything was just a delight, but also I'm going to give an honorable mention because this one would have been the best had we not gone to that bakery. The Stahican bakery is classic and delicious. And they also did not have donuts that I remember, but their cinnamon rolls are unmatched and huge. I've heard about them before. <laughs> oh, they're fantastic. <laughs> I carried like, I packed out two or three out of Stahican and it was, it was well worth the wait. It's sort of uh, like uh, waiting for the Timberline buffet. Yes. Yeah. I think the Stahican Bakery is probably a, a similar um, expectation on trails where you think like, oh, I've got to have this. And if all these people on Gut Hook are lying to me about how good this is, I'm going to track down every single one of them. <laughs> so I'm way too excited. <laughs> but yeah, no, Stahican Bakery is amazing. And Stahican in general is amazing. And that bakery in Etna is unmatched. And it's quaint and adorable. And the town's just precious. So that doesn't hurt. <laughs> Good ambiance. It absolutely. So what would what would be some pro tips? You you've you've hiked a couple miles now. Um Few. What are some pro <laughs> tips that you would have uh, that you would tell people? Gosh, that's a good question. I think like most of my pro tips probably wouldn't hover around gear but around mindset. Because you can make anything work gear-wise if you want to. It's like my hiking career, um, I, I suppose. I've carried anything from a, a regular standard pack. I've worn boots before. I've kind of made the progression to more ultralight gear and everywhere in between. And I've had successful and happy hikes. And so I don't think that that makes or, break, makes or breaks a hike in any way. But I think the mental preparation is far more important or at least as equally important as being gear prepared because you, you see everyone's best days on Instagram or whatever platform <laughs> yes. you're looking at. You're at people's vlogs on YouTube. You see the, the pretty days. And that's one of the reasons I like to, or I really try to show the reality of, of the hike on my Instagram, because I want people to see that not every day is wonderful and not all of my days are wonderful on a hike. There, there are lots of them that are wonderful and terrible within the same hour. And you can have the best day of your life and the worst day of your life within 17 times within one day. And I think just having the mental preparation to understand that that is going to be a reality and that you're going to be okay with it is unbelievably important when you're starting a hike to say like, I'm going to have a terrible day, but I'm going to get up anyways. Or like, I'm going to, I'm going to feel real crappy one morning, but I'm going to get up and walk anyways. And I think you just have to have, like people say like, you know, what's your why? Why are you out there? And I think remembering that helps you keep going when days are hard. Cause you will have days 
sometimes weeks, sometimes a couple weeks that are not fun or there are mosquitoes all over you and you're miserable or you're cold or you're tired or it's rained for 10 days and you still get up and keep going because of whatever your why is. And I also think too, a pro, I guess, pro tip, if you want to call it that, is never quit on a bad day. Never, ever, ever quit on a bad day. Make sure that you quit on the prettiest, sunniest day that you've ever seen and let that be the day that you quit. Because if you really want to quit, you'll still want to quit on that day. But usually it's just something temporary that is going to pass and you're going to have a better perspective or be in a better mood or feel better the next day. And I, I think like just, just running the long race is, is important to keep in mind because they're all going to have a variation of good and bad. And I think like too many hikers, including myself, starting out going with rose colored glasses, you go in and you say, this is going to be the best adventure of my life. And it's all going to be amazing. It's going to change my life. And that is all 100% true. But it, we easily lose sight of the things that are hard that make it good. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. You talked about how hard it was in uh, Oregon, basically, Northern California, mm-hmm. Oregon. Yeah. What were what were other hard days for you or, or challenging days for you? Hmm. Other hard days. Um, the Sierra, I really struggled, actually. And I I was... I was disappointed in myself for how much I was struggling through the Sierra because I knew it was going to be, and I knew it was going to be my favorite part because I'd seen it before <laughs> and I knew it was going to be unmatched in beauty and I wanted to enjoy it so much more than I did. And I struggled with how I'm trying to think of like what word I want to use, how I guess underwhelmed I found myself most days. I could be looking at something just unbelievably gorgeous and I just, felt very little about how pretty it was. And I was, I think I was just tired and exhausted from um, high mileage to the Sierra and being at high up at elevation and the mosquitoes were terrible. And so it was just the constant mosquito annoyance <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so that, and I, I would say like, I feel like bad seasons might be a better a better term for different times within the hike that did not go well. I think my shin injury about a week and a half, that was rough. The Sierra for most of it was still one of my favorite parts of the hike, but one of the hardest parts for me emotionally. I think, yeah, those are probably the three most difficult times, Oregon, um, that section in Washington and then the Sierra. So what were your best times? (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) All of Washington otherwise was amazing. <laughs> I loved Washington. But, and honestly, like, it, it's hard, it's weird to say, and I know, like, this, it's probably accurate of a lot of people, but I would also say that the hardest times were also the best times. <laughs> um, like, I feel like I look back and think about those last couple of weeks in Oregon, and I well up with so much pride for how proud I am of myself for doing it and for getting it done. And I feel like Oregon turned me into a different person. I feel like I came back from my hike so much more confident in who I am as a person and in my ability to chase after the things that I want to do. I don't know why, um, but I feel like Oregon changed me. It marked me in a, in a way. And, and I think a large part of it was 
in other hikes, I've experienced things that I couldn't control, like weather. I mean, I know snow is weather, but um, like a thunderstorm or wild animals in the night or, I don't know, a big, like a cold evening being unprepared. It's like those were all things that I can't control. I just have to live within them. But in Oregon, I felt like the fight was with myself. It was, I was fighting whether I was going to be capable of finishing or not based on my ability to just hike the miles. And I feel like I was able to stare myself in the face and say, you can do it. Like you, you can carry on and you can finish this trail, even though you're cold, even though your feet are numb. And even though you've been, you're sick and had to turn around at the, with 85 miles left. And even though there's impending snow and there's no other hikers out here, like you can do it. You're going to finish this trail and you're capable. And so I really think that even though Oregon was also the worst of times, it was the best of times. And it is, it's what has given me confidence in, in the months past finishing the PCT to chase after dreams that I didn't even know I necessarily had. If you, if you're willing, like, can you share maybe some of those or, or how that oh, yeah. that's translated? Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm an open book. Ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, I feel like um, I've always just lacked confidence in thinking that my words or my thoughts would be important to anyone else. And so when I started writing my trail reflections on Instagram, I just thought, I'm going to do this for me. I want to process my hike and be able to see it. But if other people want to follow along, I want to give them the opportunity. Like, I don't want to keep this to myself because I'm scared other people will think it's not good enough or that other people will think that it's not valuable information. Because really, I don't care. <laughs> it's like it's my story anyways. <laughs> so if they find value from it, that's fantastic. And if it encourages someone to chase after their dreams and do something that's hard and scary, that's a real win to me. That's amazing. And even with, you know, pursuing this podcast, it's like, that terrifies me a little bit, if I'm honest. It's like, I would think that no one wants to hear my story. No one wants to hear like the silly things that I've done. I'm just a regular person. But what I remember is there are a lot of regular people out there who have inspired me to chase after dreams that seemed outrageous and wild and things that I didn't ever think that I was capable of. And because of those normal people's stories, they've changed my life. And if I can be somebody, if I can be bold enough and confident enough to chase after my passions and the things that I feel like I'm good at and I can run in my lane and run hard and someone finds value from that, that's a win. And I don't want to shy away from doing those things just because I'm scared that other people won't appreciate it. It's like, I, I want to be confident enough to run in my lane and do the things that I love, regardless of what the world around me thinks about it. And I think that a lot of that confidence came from those few weeks in Oregon. And, <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, so, but I really think that that was, that was the turning point. Like I look back and I just think, wow, where did this confident person come from? Because she has not always been there. Or she's always been there, but she's been hiding real, real deep under a lot of insecurities. But I think like, I don't have time for those anymore. I don't have time for the insecurities because there's too many people out there that aren't doing the things that they love and they're good at because they're scared of what someone else thinks. And I think we all just need to say to heck with it. 
and we're going to do the things that we love and we're going to run in our lane and we're going to be passionate and proud of ourselves. And that will impact and inspire people. And if we don't, it's really not. And if it doesn't, it's really none of our business. Anyways, we're still doing what we love. Is that what, is that what push you to reach out to me and, and, uh, yes. volunteer, so to speak, to come on the podcast? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> now I was in a it. movie theater waiting on my sister-in-law to come meet me. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to reach out. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I was like, worst thing she says is no. And if she says no, it's fine. Cause I still did it. And I still did the thing that I wanted to do and we're going to move on. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, and I've just been challenging myself to, to do things that, that make me uncomfortable, but also things that sound exciting. I'm not going to chase something that doesn't sound fun and makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, doesn't sound like a good use of my time to me, but I want to chase <laughs> after the things that make me excited, that bring me joy, and that also make me uncomfortable. Because that's all through hiking is. I love it. It's full of joy and excitement and adventure, and it also makes you very uncomfortable. So being able to translate that into everyday decision in life, it's like I would love to be an author someday. I would love to write and tell my story and, and get my words into people's hands. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but if I don't write my stories and just make that a practice in my life, it's certainly not ever going to. So I think just taking small everyday steps to do things towards a bigger goal, something that you want to do or be a part of in your life, go ahead and start now. Even if it's small and seems silly, just do it. It's not going to hurt. And I think like that that Oregon snow really gave me some confidence. Doing that type of stuff is like a muscle. The more you do it, the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know for myself personally, uh, you know, along with doing the scary stuff was also giving myself permission to, to think about stuff or doing certain things that, you know, I never really associated with me or my vision mm-hmm. of myself. Yeah. And that's, that's been a big thing for me, certainly in the last couple of years. Yeah. It's like, and you, I would assume like starting this podcast, was that scary for you at first? Yeah. I procrastinated (laughs) for months. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I had the idea and, uh, thought about doing it and then procrastinated uh, Mm -hmm. about it for months and then started doing some of some of the, you know, had having some of the conversations and stocking up on some of the conversations and then continued to procrastinate about actually getting them out. <laughs> right, right. So yes, absolutely. The answer, yeah. the short answer. It's yes. Yeah. And then you're planning, you're, are you, you're hiking the PCT this year? That is the goal. However, All right. um, there is some possible work stuff going on as well. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of straddling both sides Mm -hmm. just to kind of see what falls out. But, you know, uh, it's funny, I literally was driving into the office today. uh, And thinking to myself, you know, I don't know, I don't know for sure about the work thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So until I know for sure, I'm going to continue to plan as if I'm going to be on the trail this year, we'll just see which which line starts or finishes or, or whatever uh-huh. first. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of hedging. hedging That's all everything. you can do. <laughs> just hold it all loosely. That's what I always, one of my favorite statements is I'm just going to hold it loosely. When I grip it tightly, it all falls apart. I'm just going to hold it yeah. loosely and see what happens. Yeah. And, and it's also pretty awesome 
I guess I was also saying this to myself this morning. It's also pretty awesome that like, if these are my two options for what to do with my summer, they're both pretty spectacular. So it's basically working, um, you know, producing a TV series awesome. versus being on the trail. Yeah. Oh, that does sound really cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're both about the same period of time and, and what mm-hmm. have you. And so it's sort of a win-win. Absolutely. When you have to pick good or better or better and better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so I feel pretty fortunate that, that these are my options. For sure. How was your, I guess, circling back to, to something I, I was seen on, on, uh, your Instagram was, you know, trail angels, trail magic and that kind of stuff. Yeah. What was some of your favorite experiences with that on oh, all yeah. the trails? <laughs> oh man, all the trails. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I have, I'll tell you two really good stories. Um, cause they're, they're unmatched. They're definitely my favorite trail angel slash magic story from each long trail. I'll start with the AT just because it was a long time ago. On the AT, we were up in right on the Vermont, New Hampshire line. So um, Hanover, New Hampshire, right before you go into the White Mountains. And my husband really likes the author, the um, nature author, Terry Tempest Williams. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but um, she happened to be doing a book tour in in that area the day we were coming into town so he like is on the phone with like the local library society in the woods trying to see if we can get seats at the terry tempest william talk and so um he gets the seats and we are there with all of the senior citizens of the area in our hiking clothes probably dirty at this point i'm almost positive we hadn't had a shower yet and like the you know very like i mean fancy elderly new englanders we were definitely sticking out but they were super kind but um we were at this talk and it finished and a couple of ladies came up to us and said hey are you guys hiking the at and we said yeah (laughs) either that or we're mildly homeless one of the two but we said yes we're hiking the at and um don and rosie were their names and don said um i hiked the at in 1999 Um, Would you guys like to come to our house and you guys can stay if you want? And I always tell my husband, you always say yes. You always say yes to a ride. You always say yes to an offer in someone's home. (laughs) So unless they're real scary, but that's a story for for another time. Usually they're all fine. But, um, and we were like, absolutely, that'd be fine. So they drove us home and we ended up staying with them for two nights. They cooked for us. I think they were both vegetarian at the time or had been, um, but they cooked us barbecue and all sorts of wild, exciting foods. They took us out to like the local gelato place and like we ended up going to the movies. They took us to, um, to (laughs) out to like the King Arthur flower bakery. They're like, this is where we love to come on Sunday mornings. You guys get whatever you want. And Rosie, Dawn's partner said, she goes, and don't be cheap. Get whatever you want. It's on us. And I was like, okay, I love these people so much. (laughs) So we ended up staying with them for two nights with their family. And, and we just stayed up and talked about the trail with them and their adventures for, I mean, till like midnight, both nights, um, just swapping stories. And Don runs a, um, an AIDS advocacy organization for women. 
So she's amazing. And her partner, Rosie, ran the organic farm or yeah, the organic farm at Dartmouth. And my husband's background is in organic farming. So she took us out. Sorry, my husband's <laughs> making noise. But she took us out to the organic farm. And we got to see all the projects and research that they were doing there. And it just felt like a place where we like just felt at home just being with them. And just the fact that these random strangers just opened their home for two days to us just to come and crash and wind and dine us like we were somebody special. <laughs> so, but they're amazing. We ended up, we've stayed in touch with them a little bit here and there, which has been really nice. So that was our AT story. And then this year on the PCT, um, we were in Trout Lake, Washington, and we met, we were taking showers at the local state park campground. And this woman walks up to us. She is in like a RV, like fifth wheel type trailer with her husband um, that we didn't know at the time. But she walked up and she said, hey, are you guys hiking the PCT? And we said, well, yeah, we are. And I said, but we flip-flopped. We're up in Washington. We still have to go back and do the Sierra and the rest of Northern California in Oregon. And she was like, oh, she goes, well, we actually live in Bishop, which is one of the trail towns, which I'm sure you're familiar with, outside of the Sierra over mm-hmm. here, Sarge Pass. Yep. And she said, she goes, well, when you guys get there, she goes, call us and we'll come get you and you can come to our house and stay and we'll feed you. We have, we have a garden, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, and we'd love to treat you guys. And I looked at her and I said, please don't joke, because if you give me your phone number, I will call. I was like, I absolutely will call you. So only give this to me if you're serious. And she said, oh, yeah, I'm absolutely serious. We'd love to have you. And I was like, wanted to cry for one, because that's too nice. But um, we, we stored that away. I put it in my phone. And when we got back to the Sierra, I knew we were probably four or five days from Kearsarge Pass when we were in Kennedy Meadows. So I sent her a text and I just said, you know, hey, we plan to be at Kearsarge Pass on this day if you guys are still wanting to have us over. No pressure either way. And she got right back to me and said, yes, we'd love to have you. We'll come pick you up. And I'm like, okay, that's even better. I don't have to hitchhike a really long <laughs> hitch from Kearsarge Pass. So I'm good. <laughs> Um, And I was like, well, I guess we'll just meet up with them. We know the day and we'll just hope that they recognize us because I don't remember what they look like. And so we're walking over Kearsarge Pass and I did recognize them when we saw them, but we we ran into it because they just, they were like, well, we're just going to go on a day hike until we meet up with you. And we were walking down the trail and they were walking up and she shouted my name. She was like, Lisa. And I was like, oh, we're best friends. Who knew? And uh, so we met up, we talked, and they had brought um, they had brought sandwiches on like Asiago bagels with fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. And I was like, "What is my life? This is fantastic!" Um, and they drove us back to their house, which was r- super cool. And they fed us. They had like they had made their own grape juice at home, and they had like they had homemade mead. And all sorts of like charcuterie boards. I mean, it was, it was a whole deal. Like it was, we felt very special. But when we, we stayed with him one night, they offered for us to stay longer. But I, at that point, I was like, we gotta make miles. We, we gotta get, gotta get the stroll done. Uh, all of that could have stayed for the rest of my life, probably. But I was so funny because <laughs> they're like my parents' age. They're um, retiring and mm-hmm. um, super nice. And I was like, they could be like my parents. I was like, I might just adopt them as auxiliary parents because they're amazing. But they, um, let's see here. The day we left, we woke up and it was around my husband's birthday. And they were playing the banjo and the mandolin for us and saying, Dave, 
um, they said, this is our version of the birthday song. And they sang him forever young as a birthday song. And I like did everything I could to not cry because the moment was so special and beautiful. It was just these complete strangers playing a banjo and mandolin for us. And it was, it was like all the things that I want to be when I'm in my sixties, they are, I was like, this is a vision of my future. I want to be these people when I'm older. <laughs> so, um, it was so, it was just so special. And then they drove us back to the trail. I mean, this drive is not like a 10 minute drive. It's like 45 minutes from their house to the trailhead. And they drove there to get us into their house and then back to the path and back home. So I mean, it's probably three hours of driving round trip for them. But, and we've stayed in contact. They've sent us Christmas cards and we've exchanged them. I, we've sent them like low country gifts from Charleston and they've, send us some other things it's just like just the sweetest like friendships that are made on trail that you would never expect it's like i would i would never interact with a random couple from bishop that we just happen to meet in trout lake and get to know them that well if it weren't for the journey of a through hike it's like you just don't have interactions like that in normal life i don't anyways other people probably do but i don't (laughs) so those were those were two of my most favorite trail magic memories. And then um, I know I, I've listened to Crunchmaster's um, interview with you on here, and he had mentioned the same group that I'm going to mention, Limit Situation Trail Magic, which is Nancy and Alan. And we met them. Um, they were doing trail magic. At the same trail magic that Crunchmaster went to, we were at as well the following morning. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so okay. He was going south at that time, and we were going north. And that was, they were incredible too. And just, just the investment that they put into a community that they don't know outside of being a bystander is not the word I'm looking for, but they only know it from communicating with through hikers. They've never through hiked themselves. And they've been so touched by the stories of people who are through hiking that they said it's impacted our lives in ways that we could never comprehend and we just feel like we need to give back to this community and that blows my mind like that makes no logical sense to me and it's so beautiful to see people interact with the trail community in a way that is so selfless and kind for people that they don't know (laughs) but i think that that's part of the the best part of the trail is people connecting with other people that they would never in in the other mm-hmm. world yeah. connect with mm-hmm. or talk to or have experience Oh, absolutely. With. I think the trail is, I, I like to call it the great equalizer. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your views on anything are. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich or what color your skin is or, you know, what you do as a job, how successful you are. It's an equalizer. You are all part of the same community and everyone helps each other and and gives what they can to make sure that other people are you know, as healthy and happy as possible on trail. Through hikers to each other, random strangers giving you rides, food, all of it. And it's like, it's just so special to be a part of something in our world where you see the best of people and not the worst of people. That is very unique. In yes, the world today. yes, it is. <laughs> but I'm also always amazed at how small the community mm-hmm. really is. And and how many people that I talk to, and most of the people that I talk to, I talk to randomly. It's not like there's this master mm-hmm. list or I'm going from recommendations for people and stuff like that. And yet, many of those people know right. each other somehow. 
because they've hiked together on the trail or they've passed each other. They started mm-hmm. talking like whatever, but there's, you know, the six degrees of separation is probably oh, only I two think degrees that's of separation. Absolutely true. Really. Especially like you're right. It's such a small community. It's like, I might not know you, but I know this person who knows you well. And I think, I mean, absolutely mm-hmm. true. And it's, and you see similar, you see people on different trails that you've seen before and you're like, whoa, I know you <laughs> so, or like I've been following mm-hmm. you on Instagram or, you know, things like that, that are just yeah. wild. So, and you kind of like, I don't know, you feel like you're a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Even if you don't interact face to face with these people all the time, you definitely feel part of the larger community. Yeah. Which is the most beautiful oh, part absolutely. of it. I think. Uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like we should talk about? I knew you were going to ask this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty standard question on all of these. I know. Um, I even wrote down some things just in case I didn't. I didn't cover something. Let's see. I don't know. I feel like we covered everything that that is important to me that um, I've experienced in my hikes. I'm sure I will have lots more growth in things that will that will come here in the future, but at the moment, not really. I mean, I guess if you want to know what's, what's coming next for us, I could share that. (laughs) We are planning tentatively. We have bought flights. So I guess it's more than tentative to hike the CDT this year, um, probably northbound. And that will complete our triple crown if we finish it. But the the goal is to complete the triple crown and um hasn't always been the goal. The goal is kind of like, oh, let's see if we're capable of hiking the AT. Oh, let's just see if the PCT is something we can finish. <laughs> and now it's like, okay, we have one trail left. And I know a lot of people will say, I don't want to do the CDT just because it's completing the triple crown. And mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. But I'm excited about it. I didn't know if I would be excited about the CDT. And I didn't want to hike it just because it felt like the last of the three trails. But I'm super excited. I'm I'm thrilled to get back out there. I love through hiking. I love being around the hiking community. And so our plan is to hike the CDT northbound starting at the end of April. We are watching snow conditions. We're, we're flexible. We could go southbound. We could go northbound. We could do a weird flip-flop. Ideally, I would like to go northbound. But we're flexible. So we'll see what happens. And as always, we're we're holding it loosely. If we do half of it, great. If we do all of it, fantastic. Doing my best not to put um, unneeded expectations on adventures in my life. Sounds healthy. <laughs> it helps me be a healthier person. So where can people find you to follow the continuing adventures and, and see how it goes on the CDT? Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram handle is at B. And that's spelled L-E-I-S as in Sam, E-L, and then the letter B. And so that, that's really, I, I can't handle several platforms at this point in my life. So um, that's really the only place that, that I do my communicating. But um, I usually, I'm pretty consistent there. I'm usually on Instagram posting usually six times a week or um, almost every day. So that's where the people can follow along with our past adventures or current or coming adventures. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a lot of fun for me. I love talking trail. And when I get an excuse to and people want to hear it, it's even better. I, that's the fun part of this is that I totally <laughs> I can totally geek out. Good luck to you on your future adventures, no matter where they take you.
show notes and links for Liesl's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Liesl for sharing her stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share or know of someone you think I should talk to, please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. I'll see you on the trail.